I basically collapsed, hit my head in the sink in the bathroom and just fainted. What on earth is this? He doesn't ever fall ill. I kept asking myself like, why am I in this situation? I'm working hard and I think I'm doing a lot of good things, but at the same time, I'm working myself into the ground. Something had to change. We needed to have more freedom, to be able to spend more time with our boys, have the flexibility to travel and all of that, to do the things that we wanted to do. The point there is these things don't happen overnight. Nothing ever happens overnight. So we wanted something that's very, like, complete. Here's exactly what you should do. Ken and Mary, we are here. Why are we here? Tell us. Here's something that our audience have been asking for a few years now, and we finally have gotten round to... And welcome to Everyday Leadership podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally through the lessons and life experiences my guests share in the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. Thank you all for coming today. Um, in fact, let me, let me start off the way I normally start, start my podcast. Like, welcome. Um, because you know, I have a podcast called Everyday Leadership. And um, this is what the platform is going to be going out on. And I guess before we start, I want to say thank you to everyone who's in the room. Um, I know you got a message saying you've been invited to a top secret project. <laughs> you know what it is. Um, but if you want to come out and, and support and learn more about it, do that. And you have all come far and wide, um, which is absolutely amazing. We've got babies in the room, <laughs> which, is, which is even more amazing. Um, and I guess before we do the big reveal and we delve into, into today and why we're here, I know Ken and Mary are asking to start, why do you think we're here? So let's, let's, let's get some... some there's some room participation in there. Why do you think we're here today? Who wants to, wants to go? Who thinks they know what it is? Yeah, I was thinking it might be a book. I think it might be a book. Okay, that's one option. Anyone else? Yeah. Ooh, their own podcast. Okay, that's another one. Anyone else? Any other, any other options? I'll take one more. Any other? Any other? Okay, okay, okay. Oh, we got one more. Go. I wondered if it was something food related, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Food related. Well, Ken and Mary, we are here. Why are we here? Tell us. You know what you So it is something that um, our audience have been asking for for a few years now. Um, and we finally have gotten round to writing our very own book. Absolutely amazing. What's the book called? Financial Joy. So we signed a book deal with Hachette and Quirkus. So Hachette's one of the largest book publishers in the world. And... Uh, we, we were praying about it, actually, and, you know, in December last year, and about 14 days later, really out of the blue, we got an email saying, we've been watching your YouTube channel, and we'd, we'd love to have a chat with you guys and see if you would like to write a book. And uh, we initially thought, this has got to be spam. Because <laughs> 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 we didn't know who... We didn't know the names of these publishers and, uh, you no know, idea. no idea. So we ignored it. 
uh, about five or seven days later, I was like, actually, where was that email? <laughs> and I, I Googled the name of the company yeah. and they looked legit. And I triple checked the email to make sure it's not like one of those fake ones. Mm -hmm. And it was real. So we emailed them back and yeah, we started a conversation. So financial joy is live and present. You can go and pre-order it. You can go and order it on Amazon uh, right this very moment. Absolutely amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. One of the things that you cover in the book, and you've talked about, and I'm sure your audience know a lot about your story, but I think you actually go deeper into both your journeys when it comes to financial joy. And rather than exposing a lot of the chapters in the book, uh, which people really need to go and buy, um, I want to lean into that for a while. And I guess I'll start with you first, Ken. Like what has been, what's your journey been like coming from like Nigeria and navigating? You had like, you talked about this decade period in particular <laughs> that was really, really tough. Um, so let's kind of elaborate on that um, in, in the room. Okay. So before sharing a bit about that, I was going to say financial joy is what makes it very different is it's a 10 week plan. It's a 10 week plan. Are you going to come to that? Okay. 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 So, so my journey, um, I look at in two halves. And the first decade is what I call a decade of survival. So it started in 1998 to 2008. And in that decade, what was interesting was I started life in the UK at the age of 14. And going on 15, so I started in year 11, which is the, wor the worst West. year to start school, yeah. uh, particularly if you're not the most popular child in school, and if you've got the strongest Nigerian accent Fresh coming into, you know. Johnny just come. Yeah, yeah, the JJC. Johnny just come. And that was difficult because, um, first of all, you're trying to get used to being almost like blending in. You're trying to blend in so you're not like sticking out. Um, but at the same time, I was navigating a lot. So things like residency problems in this country, when you don't have residency, like everybody does, you know, you can't just walk into a job center or your parents can't just do certain things. It's a lot harder because you, you carry a lot of like shame around with you and you're always kind of hiding your true identity. You're always just trying to not say very much. And then tied to that is obviously money because if you don't have a lot of capability, you don't really have any money at all because, mm. you know, you have to take what's given to you and that meant kind of cash in hand jobs and that kind of stuff. So having almost a decade of that where you don't know whether you're going or coming. In fact, one of my, one of my favorite songs, really random, is a song by Brandy called Should I Go, should I go or Should I Come? Should I stay? Should I... And I remember that song really well because for yeah. some people it was just a pop song. But for me, it was a real dilemma. Like, mm. are we going to be deported this month or are we going to stay? And we'd get these deportation letters and we had to go to school and, and keep our faces straight, you know, kind of like blend in. But it was a real struggle. Um, and money was a real, um, a big topic because how do you forget about holiday? There was just no concept of anything like that. Like, 
like holidays and like it's a question of like do we have enough to buy you know when you go to the shops you have no frills remember no frills mm -hmm. in the shops yeah? yeah like you never dreamt of buying a brand of products like that was like never so what you could buy was literally uh, no frills and that was the best you got and even buying no frills was difficult so for me those 10 years were very very difficult because there was loneliness there was a lot of anxiety mm. there was parental arguments a lot of the time because we didn't have money there's like a lot of heads butting um there's just you know you don't have friends there's cultural change you're just trying to fit in plus you're a teenager you know teenagers you know stripping things yeah out. yeah so so it's, it's a lot it's a lot to talk about there but wow as um sure i come to you mary there's there's a part in, in the book that i think will take a lot of people by surprise which is when you started to make money, you bought a Rolex. Yes. Like, anyone imagine Ken <laughs> with with a Rolex, flashy car, Rolex party? Like you were you were the poster boy for like the old school Instagram kind of <laughs> kind of people back in the day. Oh yeah. And it's interesting that when you go through struggle like that, and then you start coming into money, that's what naturally happens with a lot of people. You you spend it and you want to be like, show off what you kind of have. But then you get pulled away from that and you start looking at things very, very differently. And which then I guess gets me thinking more around then Mary's story. Your story and your journey was very different to, to Ken's. Like you grew up in a household, your parents, but they also taught you about like frugality and what that really looked like, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was born in Hackney, East London in a deprived council estate, not the gentrified Hackney of today. Um, so to my parents immigrated over to London in the 70s and I grew up with my three older brothers. So like Chope said, growing up, um, I just always saw my parents being very frugal when it came to money because they had, I don't know if you guys have heard of the term black tax, but they had a lot of people relying on them back home to send money back home. And it's something that I just remember them doing on a regular basis. So anytime we got phone calls from Nigeria, it was literally, I need money for um, my daughter's school or for hospital. Like it was always something. Mm. And it's something that they still do even till today as pensioners. And so, yeah, they were very hardworking they did long hours, doing late nights, early mornings. My brothers did the same because they're much older than, than I am. And so, yeah, we also had kind of like the no frills in that we didn't do holidays. Um, we never ate out at restaurants. It was always home-cooked food, which I loved. Um, but yeah, I just always grew up seeing my mum and my dad being very frugal. They didn't really do the whole credit card spending, but they always lived uh, below their means. So that's my kind of background. But then you also had a hustler mentality because one of the things that you wrote, you wrote in there like you were you started earning money from young and it wasn't about you needed it, but you just like seeing your money growing your account. <laughs> so when I was in, was it, I think I was, I was in primary school and I, my parents took me to, it was called Abbey National at the time, bank, and I got my own savings account. I, I got my own um, savings book, red book. And yeah, I just loved seeing my statements. It was literally zero pence, whatever it was in interest that I'd be getting. But I just enjoyed seeing that money grow from a very young age. So when I was able to start earning an income from a young age, I, that's literally what I did. I just worked, got whatever jobs I could get for my age. So my first job was, a, as, a, as I did a, had a paper round um, when I was in secondary school. 
But then I also started selling CDs. I don't know if you guys remember the, the Angel CDs. So we literally had a printer set up in the house. We'd go to HMV, <laughs> buy the CDs, copy them. <laughs> but to such a good standard that there was literally no competition. So in my secondary school, I'd be selling the CDs during my lunch break. And yeah, I was making about, what, £7 for each CD, which back then in two, I can't remember the year. It was it was decent amount money. of money that just all went into my account. And I just saw my account grow and grow. <laughs> Yeah. See? That that mentality, that mindset was was strong for, for both of you. But then part of that then became your journey around what does money really look like for you? You both went on an exploration phase, shall I say, which is how you both met. Yeah. And I guess describe how you met and what was it about each other that actually attracted you to each other apart from just the commonality of money? So we met the most unusual, unlikely place, I think, at a, we'd both, well, I didn't know this at the time, but I'd read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I found out they were doing a conference in London, in Victoria. And I saw the ad in a paper and I thought, okay, I'm going to go. Uh, I want to go and learn about property. So I went there and it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. So they had a free event and they had another event. So I went to it. And at the event, I didn't know that Mary's brother, who was meant to come with his wife, ended up coming with his younger sister because his wife was not very well. So I got to the event. It was a room. It was full of people, maybe about 300 people. And I was right at the very front, like a proper geek. I sat right in front. I would take my notes. I would get all the tips. And whilst I was there, during like one of the breaks, I looked at the back, all the way to the back. And I, sp I spotted Mary. Wow. 300 people <laughs> in the room. <laughs> That's an eagle eye right there. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, like I, need to, I need to change my position. So during the break, I left where I was sitting in the front. I went all the way to the back and managed to sit, you know, like same table and um, just got chatting to her brother and stuff. And the one moment I remember really clearly was during the breaks, they said to us, you need to go out there and like go and buy some lunch. And they said, go and blag. You had to go and like blag a Starbucks. Okay. We had to go and like go to Starbucks and like find a way of getting negotiating a free Starbucks. So we went and did that activity. And then after that, I went to, I went to prep. Mm -hmm. So I bought prep for Mary and her brother. And they were really impressed. Like I actually bought them prep, <laughs> right? And they were like, wow, these guys, you're a stranger, but you bought us prep. And we just got chatting. And so over three days, Mary and I got put into some tasks. Like, and we've got a picture, actually, that goes back. Mm -hmm. One of the tasks was to complete a commitment board. So it's a wall, commitment wall. You have to write, like, what's our vision? What do we want out of our lives? And so we were on that wall, mm -hmm. just writing random things that we wanted from our lives. And we're just strangers who'd met at an event. But a lot of the things we were writing were very, very similar. So I didn't know at that point whether she was single or not. I was just like, wow, like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like, you know. So the event finished and I, um, we walked, we were meant to go and buy a, a book from the event, like they recommended some books. We went to the bookshop, Waterstones, I think, mm -hmm. and it was closed. So I said to her, like, why don't we just go and eat? Yeah. And that became our first date, without knowing Indirect. it. Indirectly. Indirectly. <laughs> yeah. We went to 
Busaba, Busaba, Utai on, I think, Oxford, Oxford Street, Street, I think, near, yeah. near there. Uh, and then I walked her to the station. And whilst we're walking down the escalator, she pointed at something. She's like, oh, do you know what? This is a show. It's like this whole theatre show that she noticed. And I walked down to the escalator at the bottom, about to get on the train. We swapped numbers. She says, let's just stay in contact as friends. As soon as she got onto the train, I went and booked that theatre show. <laughs> and then I messaged her later and went like, oh, can we hang out again? And that became our second date, that theatre show. Yeah. So that's, that's how... That's how it started. Yeah, he won me over with a pret sandwich, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that journey has taken up a life of its own. Obviously, you both got married. Um, was part of your commitment to each other, you were very, even intentional before you got married, around what you wanted things to look like for you. And you write that plan, in a sense, in the book, you kind of cover that. And... One of the things that um, I was reading all the way through that really stood out to me, which I think leads us really well into what financial joy looks like for you, was you end up in hospital. Uh. <laughs> How did you end up in hospital? What was it that happened for you? And then what did that lead to? Because actually the reason why this community exists in a sense, the way it does, was because of that, that incident. I've been working like everybody does, you know. And when you work, you're always, you're trying to make that money. You're trying to like pursue your financial goals and all those things. And you're trying to build your career. And I was working as a chief financial officer for a venture capital business. And this one day, I had to work late. Even though I, I wanted to go home, they required me to work late. And um, because it was in London, and we live in Kent, I ended up working till around like 11 p.m. and had to leave and start going home. Got home around 12.30 in the morning. And Mary had gone to bed, kids had gone to bed, and I, I crashed out mm. and went to sleep. But I had to wake up around 3 a.m. to go and use the bathroom. And as soon as I got up to go and use the bathroom, because I'd been so worn out, I basically collapsed and hit my head on the, on the sink in the bathroom and just fainted. And this, the, the bang on the floor woke Mary up. And she quickly yeah. rushed to come and help me up. And, so and the I was, loudest thud. Yeah. yeah. How was that for you, Mary? was just scary because I was like what on earth is this he doesn't ever fall ill you might get the odd cold like mm. here and there but yeah this I'd never seen you in this state before mm. it was yeah it was alarming it was terrible yeah. but you suddenly came around mm -hmm. and you know you were panicking and Confused. I was trying to stay mm. so calm even though I was panicking <laughs> trying you know calm your nerves mm -hmm. so yeah it was it was really scary and I just knew that you know something had to change like yeah. we couldn't do what we were doing every day like something mm. drastic had to, yeah. to change because we didn't want this happening again i got we called annie and he showed up around 10 past three in the morning or actually about 3 30 and took me to our local hospital and whilst i was there i kept asking myself like why am i in this situation mm. you know i'm working hard and i think i'm doing a lot of good things but at the same time I'm working myself into the ground mm -hmm. without realizing it. Here I am in A&E with all these strangers waiting to do a brain scan to see if I've had damage, a brain damage to me. Surely the way we're operating, something needed to change. Mm. I did a video of myself talking to camera saying, I don't ever want to come back to this place in A&E for anything like this again. Mm. And Mary and I started to reassess our lives. You know, what are we missing? in the way we're pursuing our goals. 
are there certain things we're foregoing just because of our financial goals? Mm -hmm. Are we foregoing our well-being? Are we foregoing certain things that are things we need rather than things we just want? Mm -hmm. You know, that's where the idea of the concept of financial joy started to be born. Really, is how do we bring together not just wealth but well-being? How do you mm -hmm. bring those two things together such that you're getting what you want, but you're prioritizing what you need. And what you need is your fun, your well-being, you know, your purpose, all those elements that we often ignore. Relationships. Relationships friends. we ignore at the cost of mm. pursuing wealth only. That pursuit of how you just described financial joy sounds absolutely amazing. Sounds like a beautiful life that everyone wants to have. But it also involves a lot of courage and risk, in a sense, actually. Because you chose to leave your job, Mary chose to leave doors, and then you really went into this. And I know there were a lot of people around you at that point in time who were asking you, like, what are you both doing? It doesn't make any sense. How did you manage to have the, the mindset and the mentality, which is one of the things you talk about in the book as well, to know that, you know what, we wanted to do this because it's important to us as a family. This is foundational to what we, what we stand for. Yeah, so we'd... Obviously, like we'd run the numbers and I think one of the major things was that we were mortgage free. And so that removed a lot of, um, I guess, anxiety around needing that regular paycheck, mm -hmm. monthly income that would come from a job. Um, but also we just, the Humble Penny was doing really well um, and we would start in the sister platform, Financial Joy Academy. So I think for us, it made sense financially, but also we needed to have more freedom to be able to spend more time with our boys and, yeah, just have the flexibility to, to travel and all of that, to do the things that we wanted to do. So, so yeah, I guess, Ken, you, you, you add to that. Yeah, I was going to say that financial, having a, like building up your savings goes mm -hmm. very far in life. Like having yeah. like a, a cushion to fall back on mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mary and I started our financial independence journey in in when we met. Like <laughs> you know, we, this this is literally like how we met. You know, and um, so having started that journey in two thousand nine and making the transition in twenty twenty because of COVID to try and do what we do today full time, actually taking mm. that leap took a long time. The point there is these things don't happen overnight. Nothing ever happens overnight. Mm -hmm. However, having a decent financial background in terms of savings and stuff uh, definitely goes a long way uh, in helping to remove that anxiety mm -hmm. and worry that typically is associated with taking risk and yeah. stuff. So Humble Penny started off as a, was it 1995 key? Yeah, 99 blog, yeah. Blog. Yeah. It's grown to a community where you've influenced and helped over 5 million people through your various mediums so far. And it keeps, it keeps on growing. So why write a book? So, like, we have a lot of content out there. As in, I don't even know how many YouTube videos we have out there now. Um, we've done lots of podcasts. We have um, some workbooks, but we just wanted to have all our content in one place and... We just wanted to create a form of a structure for our audience to be able to follow what Kim was mentioned as a 10-week program. So it's all in one place. And but also, like I said before, our audience had asked us about it quite a few times. Um, guys, you should write a book. <laughs> we, we had that quite a few times. And 
the more we thought about it mm. and the more we, like said, Ken said, we prayed about it and we started to um, look at publishers. We wanted to reach out to some of them. When we started to do all of the work, we then get, got contacted by mm. a publisher we, we hadn't actually heard of. Like Ken said, they're the second biggest. But yeah, it just felt like the right time. It just felt like the right time for us to write a book. Yeah, and I, I think as well, from a legacy perspective, I wanted us to create something that first I felt would be like light to people's feet. I feel like a lot mm. of people don't really know what to do. People have a lot yeah. of uncertainty and about the future and people are very fearful actually about the future. They don't really know what, what to do or how to go about things. So we wanted something that's very like complete, like here's exactly what you should do. Mm -hmm. Every chapter in the book ends with three summaries and three, three very clear tasks. tasks. Yeah, every chapter. So, but we wanted it to be complete, as Mary said, so that you're not like, oh, well, what else do I need? You know, mm -hmm. it's all there and it's accessible for people because books are not expensive at all, cheaper than a takeaway. So people can actually buy it and go and give it as gifts to their, you know, daughters or sisters or brothers or whoever, yeah. or children even to help to guide them. And we were also thinking about our children, you know, as we're writing this book, we think about our children, like how could we speak to our children in the future through this book, you know? So the book feels very like it's a form of legacy, you know? Mm -hmm. And we never thought we'd ever write a book. Like I got a C in my English GCSE. <laughs> like me, write a book? That was never in my, you know, like possibility, but Mary and I, people's faith, you know, God's, God works in different ways, you know. So, so we felt like this is God presenting an opportunity to us to do something that will change a lot of people's lives as well. What's that journey been like writing a book? Because when people see books and see authors, it looks very glamorous. But then you've got two amazing kids, you've got a business to run, and writing a book takes time. So how's that journey and that process been like for both of you? It's been challenging, but yeah, we love the, we love the challenge, bring it on. Because if it was down to us to self-publish our book, it would probably get released in maybe 2026, 20, I don't know. God knows when, <laughs> like God knows when it would be released. But because it's with a publisher and we've signed a contract, you know, we're being forced to actually take time out. But like mm. you said, it's been really hard because we've got children, we've got the Humble Penny, we've got the Financial Joy Academy. Um, there's obviously an expectation for us to release content. We need to be there for our community, which is only right. So it's just juggling all of that has been um, challenging, but very rewarding at the same time. It's been a great experience so far. We're documenting mm. our journey along the way. And when we're able to, we will share that process with, with our audience. But no, it's yeah. been great just knowing like Ken said, the legacy that it's going to have, the impact it's going to have has been, yeah, it's what's been keeping us going. I'd, I'd add then, to that. I've really, really struggled with it. <laughs> like, because yeah. it's very difficult because you can't create a crap book because this could be the only book you ever get to write because mm. no one knows tomorrow, right? Like, everyone has, like, you know, so... The book has to be phenomenal. So that, and it has to be useful for people. It has to be transformational. Mm -hmm. So that means that a lot of time goes into a lot of research, a lot of like fact finding, a lot of, you know, making sure that someone reads this 
this is like a form of like a weird like gospel in a way. They're like, whoa, I've got it. It's like enlightening and it's life-changing for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's non-judgmental. It's, it's real. It's filled with practical examples of successes and failures, mm-hmm. real life case studies. So there's a lot to it. You know, whilst then there's two people. Mm. How do you navigate two voices in a book? How do you, there's so many like, you know. And trying to make it very informative, like Ken said, but also striking the balance of making it very practical mm. so that they're not just reading another book, but they're actually taking action. And that by the end of each week, they see significant progress yeah. and um, less anxiety, more confidence mm. in their financial future. And that completeness that you also talked about, I think is what makes it very, very different because you you cover mindset, you cover the individual, you cover um, retirement. So you go through like different stages. So regardless of, I guess what age you are actually, you can actually pick it up and there's a lot of stuff, practical knowledge that you can get from it. And normally when people think about, okay, you're writing a financial, a financial book, it's going to tell me to to save money. There's a part of the book that you talk about just having fun and enjoying yourself. And obviously the book is called Financial Joy. So it's great to have that element in there. But why did you feel that was important to you? be like, it's not just about living and saving your money and then you die, but you also need to enjoy the life that you've actually been given. That's critical. And one of the biggest epiphanies was, very sadly, this year in March, we lost, I lost my brother-in-law, who's only 39 years old. When you have a family member who passes away, who had goals like you, mm-hmm. saying they were chasing all the things, you know, and they suddenly pass away, and you, you suddenly realize that life is very fragile mm-hmm. and you have to enjoy your life, you know, because oftentimes people, we work, at, we work, 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 we're trying to build wealth. But then, like, I've heard too many stories because I like to speak to people who are like t- at least 10 years older than me. I just like that wisdom of people who are further in their experience. And I've heard you know, examples of people who have got to 55 or 60 or 65 and they're like, yep, I'm about to retire. And then all of a sudden something happens. They have long-term illness. or they have like just random things happen. And then all that stuff you've been building up, you, de- you then don't really get to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So our approach is actually you should enjoy your life every day. So financial joy helps you to plan for that enjoyment such that you are every day working on the financial element of your journey, but also you're putting joy at the center every day. You're, mm-hmm. you're prioritizing what truly matters to you. Yes, it might take you longer to get to your goals, but what matters is that you're not having that FOMO. You're not feeling like, do you know what? I didn't really enjoy my life. Like, okay, I'm 55 now, and then I feel like I've got this property and this and this, but like, I've kind of missed out on so much on my journey, you know? So it's, it's been born out of experiences. Also interviewing our parents, speaking to our parents, you know, and asking them like, what would you have done differently on your journey? They're in there, Mary's dad's in his eighties, my dad's in his seventies, and both our mums are in their seventies and sixties. You know, again, speaking to them and seeing what, you know, what would you have done differently is helping us rethink how we're approaching life more generally, how we're thinking about topics like retirement, We don't want to wait till we're 65 to retire. You know, we want to have like different births of retirement, you know, take a month off here, take, you know, that way you're actually 
progressing through life enjoying yourself and living purposefully as well and these things don't have to be expensive you know having joy creating fun along the way it can be just think of there are many creative ways that you can inject joy into your life every day without it you breaking your bank or dipping into your um you know overdraft or exceeding your um the budget that you have allocated towards fun you know there are many creative ways of having fun without spending too much and part of the reason why we wanted the audience here as well was not just to have this conversation, but as you listen to them talking, um, if you have any questions, like, well, just feel free to put your hand up. We can give you the mic. You can ask the questions. We can dive in as well. So it's not just about this. This is about you because you're here as well. So any more questions? Um, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Um, Thank really you. looking forward to reading it. I just wanted to find out, how long were you running um, The Humble Penny for before you decided to leave your job? How long had it been up and running for by that time? It was three years, thereabouts. So we started in December 20, 2017, The Humble Penny, and I left my corporate job in April 2020. Mary left in 2019, in the mm -hmm. summer, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, 2019. So she she moved, she took that leap first. But I still loved my salary, you know. <laughs> uh, I was like, you know, this salary is nice, like, you know. But that COVID was very difficult because, I'm not going to lie, it was very, it was, it was life-changing in a, in a difficult way. Mm. Because I had a board-level role. I had to show up at home during lockdown. We also, Mary and I have two boys who needed parenting and homeschooling. homeschooling. Mm -hmm. Then there was all these demands from the Humble Penny and all the, what was a side project that we were doing on the side. Mm -hmm. So it was very difficult managing all that whilst also managing our state of mental health and mm -hmm. marriage and just everything else, you know, whilst being cocooned at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just became too much. So Mary and I were just like, <laughs> like, we've always dreamt of doing this. Maybe yeah. this is... Maybe this is the sign that we need to actually focus now on this one thing. So, so that pandemic was a gift in a weird way because we had to be, we had to really take a faith walk and believe that it was going to work out. We didn't know it was going to work out. We just, it was just by faith that we're like, do you know what? We have to try this and trust God to kind of guide us in what we were doing. Great. Thank you. Um, I was going to ask. Um, yeah, in terms of when you overdid it, overworked your your you, you know you went too far. What was your schedule like? Like how busy was it? Were you working too much? Were you sleeping a lot less? Just wanted to know how bad it really got. Yeah, so I think I was probably sleeping maybe four hours a day, probably max four hours because I was then waking up to work on my side the side hustle, but my job required because we lived in we live in Kent. I needed to get to the office at 8.30. So the latest I had to leave the house was 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. Then he had to wake up an hour before that to get the children ready for school. So 6 a.m. Then to work on the side hustle had to be 5 a.m. Then, then it had to be 4.30. So there were just so many things that were backed up. Mm -hmm. um, and then the worst part is, is then you're like, oh, I want to leave work now. It's 5.30. And they're like, actually, no, that, that financial model you did, can you just do this variation? And then you're like, oh. I now have to stay here and change this. Then you stay there. And I remember this one thing I never forget. I once made a mistake in a financial model. I put a number somewhere that shouldn't have been there and it, and it 
changed everything. And not only did I work so long doing that thing, that particular task, but it affected my, my reviews, my work review and stuff. You know, so all these things, the tiredness, the overwork has a knock-on effect on things that you don't really predict. And, and yeah, anyway. So one of the things that you've touched on a number of times has been faith. And faith and, and money are always two very interesting subjects that go, sometimes go hand in hand, sometimes don't. But for you, you've been very, very intentional about linking them together. Why is that? I think money is a spiritual thing. It's not just money. It's, it's, it's like, like, like Jesus talks about money so much for a reason, just to kind of guide us, to help us in our day-to-day navigation. I know different people have different faiths and different kind of backgrounds, spiritual backgrounds. Some people have no faith at all, and that's, that's all fine. But for us, Mary and I, when we met, this was actually a big part of our union, um, kind of building our relationship with God at the center of it was a big thing for us as a couple. So we didn't really want our lives, doing what our work life, to be not reflecting our true, our true like, like life, you know. So we needed, we saw faith as almost currency in our finances. It had to feed through because a lot of, a lot of our lives, we've had to do things that were, we didn't know they were gonna work out. <laughs> <laughs> just take the risk because like you have no other choice you know you had to try things out um and then like like truly leave things to to god to do his own thing you know um i know this is not everybody's cup of tea but for us it's such a big deal because for us um we see what we do as a calling you know this is like this is this is god's work in you know in entirety where we're kind of like we're like work, we're the workers, you know, we're sowing, helping to sow the seeds. So for us, faith is such a big thing, but that's, again, it's a very personal thing as well. And speaking about sowing, there's something around the, the journey when you're, both of you leaving your work and everything else like that. Patience has probably been a key word to your journey. Um, so come to you, Mary, how do you stay patient when sometimes things seem that they are moving so slow and you know what you're trying to achieve, you've got those goals written down, but it doesn't seem like you're ever gonna get there. How do you keep on just going and staying persistent with that? I think for us, um, being intentional about the company that we kept helped. So it's good to see evidence of success. As much as, Faith has been a very important factor in terms of the things that we've done. We've made like bold moves. We've done things that have gone against the grain. But we also saw evidence of success through other people who were doing similar things to us. And we formed like new friendships with people who were bloggers, people who were entrepreneurs, people who ran online businesses. And um, Ken also is very good at, you know, just asking questions and finding out how people were success in their business. And that's given us the motivation to, to keep going as well. Knowing that, you know, if we stay consistent, um, we're smart about what we do, we will eventually get there, get to the destination that we want, so, yeah. It does, it's encouraging to keep going. And um, even in the, in the book, in the different activities that people do, 
right from the start, when you talk about the mindset, it's one of the things that you, you say people to write stuff down, what you're trying to achieve, and then you work through it. And I think it's important that people don't think, I was using this all the time, you don't harvest and plant at the same time. So recognizing that it's, it's a slow process, even as great as compound interest is, for example, it's still a slow process. It, it doesn't, <laughs> you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And people need to recognize that. And I think there is, when it comes to, I think it's probably been a reputational thing. When it comes to people talking about finances and reputations, people see, oh my God, this person's out here living their best life. Yeah. And there's that perception that it's just come just like that, where the reality is how you break it down, how you walk through the journey of like, no, you take your time, you grow, you you look at different things, you write things down, you work towards it, you can be frugal, but you can be very, very intentional, which is quite important. Um, another element as well that I really liked was you talk about when it comes to kids, how do you raise financial savvy kids that understand it from a very young age? It's never easy with children. Um, but I think one of the things that's helping us a lot is in our daily examples with the children, with our children, is showing them through our actions. Um, so for example, teaching them how to defer gratification. Like, how do you actually do that? Ooh. You know, like, you know, we want certain things. Like, you know, <laughs> I give you an example. We're, we're going we're gonna to go away to Dubai for the first time ever. We've never been before. But it's been about 24 months since we've been wanting to go and planning towards it and trying to get all these points, travel points, so we can get, like, the cheaper flights and, you know, all this stuff. But trying to defer that gratification kind of work towards it. So for example, our son had to do his 11 plus exams and we had to get through a number of things that meant that like, if all those things go to plan, then you know, as a family, this might be what we end up doing. So there's a link between effort and reward. You know, it's kind of teaching them that link between effort and reward whilst also deferring gratification, not just saying, oh, I want a PS5, I'm gonna get it now. No. That's not how life works. <laughs> <laughs> there's no such thing. Nobody like, you know, the system tells you that's what you can do because you can get a credit card and you can buy now, pay later. But that's not the reality of life. Reality of life is like, I didn't get, I didn't get on a plane until I was almost 15 years old. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're on holiday, you know. Like, that's, that's just, real life is not like that at all. Mm. So, and it's also using your vernacular, your language daily to get them to understand things. So, for example, like you can say, oh, there's, there's a high inflation on phones right now. Like, Daddy, what's inflation? Then you can kind of explain, right? Because so, the language then becomes a part of the, the everyday. They can like, oh, wow, they understand interest rates at the age of eight. They understand inflation. They understand debt. And like debt can be used, can work against you, but debt can also work for you, depending on your mindset, you know, if you're, depending on where you are in the journey, you know. All those things. So it's about injecting it gradually. Like for example, when we go to school, driving to school, we stop out and there's a traffic light, you look to the right, there's a corner shop. Oh boys, how do you think that corner shop makes money? Conversation. It talks about income, talks about risk taking, talks about expenses. So it's about making it, normalizing it, normalizing um, literacy, financial literacy, tech literacy, just making it a part of every day. You know, and then there's the actual doing it. For example, Mary and I invest with the children. Mm -hmm. We co-invest with them. Like, come, let's talk about your portfolio. Let's log in. 
They're like, oh, let's see my bank account. See what, where, where's my money right now? This is where we're at. I remember last three months we did this review. You were here. Wow. Why do you think that's happened? Like, why has it gone up? Remember our son asking us once. He was like, that one went down. Like, has the bank taken my money? Because <laughs> they don't understand the concept of loss. Like, where did it go? Like, mm. like it's minus. Why is it red? Like, why have they used red? What, where's, where's, the, where's it gone? That's interesting. Because, like, how do you explain loss to a child? Like, how do you explain, like, where's the money gone? Did someone take it? Why did they take my money? You know? Mm. So doing it gets you into dialogue. Yeah, and just to add to what Ken said, you know, it's talking of investing. The, the boys get money. They tend to get money from their grandparents for Christmas, birthdays, uh, Easter. And, you know, we've taught them how to budget. So when they receive the money, they know that a percentage needs to be saved and invested. Um, a percentage needs to go to a charity. They, um, and then the rest, they can choose to spend. spend and that amount that they spend, they know how much that is. And so if they decide to go to Smith's or Argos or shop on Amazon, they already know what their budget is. And so I see them saying things like, oh no, that's above my budget. Or I can buy this and I'll have a bit more left over. So we've already won. We don't have to have this backwards and forwards, like no boys, that's too expensive. They already know, and which is quite helpful for us because then they're not unrealistic with the things that they want to buy, like a 1,000 pounds Lego set. Like we've, we don't have that issue because they understand budgeting and buying stuff within their budget. Yeah, and there's also lifestyle as well. So we talk about like financial freedom, financial independence, what these things mean, why that matters. Sometimes we're like, guys, what do you think mommy and daddy do for work? Like, what's our job? Like, what do we do? YouTuber. Yeah, they, they say different things. <laughs> and that's quite hard because it's hard to explain what we do. Mm. You know, because before it, my identity was I'm a chartered accountant, but that's different now because it's like, what does mommy and I, what do they actually do? So explaining to them, like, you can, over time, design a life that works for you. You have to put the work in first. You know, you have a career you build and all those things. But over time, if you manage your money well, it gives you certain freedoms. Mm. And here's what those freedoms afford. Like, for example, I'm at your show, like, at 12 o'clock. My, my peers are at work right now, but I'm here at your show. How do you think Daddy's got here? Like, how, how's Daddy in this place with you right now? Because when I had, when I couldn't do that, I couldn't attend a lot of these things. I couldn't show up and, you know, Mary carried a lot of that weight, pick up, drop off, da 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 da, da. Yeah, But now I'm able to do that, you know. So it's again, helping them to understand there's a mindset piece, you know, in how money is used as a tool and how, you know, but then, you know, money shouldn't control you as well. You need to understand yeah. that you're the master of money and your role as a, as a steward of money to tell money where to go rather than let money control you and tell you where to go, you know. So... It's a gradual thing. It never happens overnight with children, but it's just, it's very gradual. If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's a podcast worth listening to. Which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, Look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. Have they understood the fact that you're writing a book? Have you explained? Oh yeah. Oh, they know. They know. Good. They say. They say. How's it going? What chapter are you on? Yeah. And they gave us advice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what did Joshua say? Joshua, the other day he said to me. Ken was feeling sorry for himself. I was like, and, I was a bit down. Yeah, it was a long and day. And Joshua said, Dad. If there's things you can do today, do it today. Don't 
That's the language you said. Don't, don't, don't put, put what you can do tomorrow today. Just like yeah. make a list, Daddy, and don't just go and do it. You can do it. Just go and do it. You know, every day to check in. What chapter are you on? <laughs> okay. You know, just yeah. stuff like that. You know, they're proper on it. They're proper on it. And we love that because, you know, like, do you know how mad it is to know that your children, I'm trying to think of what they will say in the future. Like, my dad and mum were writing a book. Like, just, mm. we never, like, we never had any of that. Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I, honestly, the way I look at things anyway, I was thinking everything's spiritual. I mean, it's, for me personally, it's just God's blessing and, mm, you know, mm. um, and we pray, you know, our, 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 our almost prayers that they take that on and it helps them have their own impact in the world as well. Amazing. What would you want people to take from the book? And I want in, I want different answers from both of you. I know you've written it together. <laughs> At the end of uh, the 10-week program, I'd want them to have a clear idea of what financial joy looks like for them. Um, so that financial peace, whether it's to um, their money goals is to achieve financial independence. Um, and that joy piece, that very specific thing, um, I hope is that it aligns you know, whatever their money goals are, it aligns with their purpose, um, their values, and there's this harmony around that. So yeah, hopefully they will feel more, well not hopefully, they will <laughs> feel more confident um, about their future. And yeah, they will have all of the tools needed to be able to navigate any kind of financial, you know, uncertainty, whatever may be happening in the world they'll have that confidence because they've got their finances um, in order, yeah. Yeah, I'd say I'd, uh, what we, I'd love for the book to do for people is to give them three things. One is skill set, to have them radically change their skill set. So learn to invest, mm -hmm. learn to start your own business, uh, learn to invest in property, mm -hmm. learn to banish and get rid of debt, like literally operate with a level of shrewdness whilst being humble. So stay hungry, but stay humble. Love it. So that's, that's, you know, mindset. So people can, you know, get rid of fear, but operate out of faith, you know, take some risks and kind of be calculated. So mindset, uh, so skill set. Then, then mindset in the way they think, you know, mm -hmm. um, not just thinking like everybody else, but uh, operating from a place of abundance rather than scarcity all the time. Mm -hmm. Almost like, you know, not just, oh, I need to kind of keep my 500 pounds, but it's like, how could this become 50,000? You know, rather than just think, I can't do it, it's a question of who can help me do it? You know, a lot of that is thinking very differently. It's quite subtle differences in how you operate, but it's a, it's a question of like how you think. And the final is a tool set. I want the book to be, like I said, a light to people's feet, mm. literally like a torch, like here's the way you need to go. Here's what you need to avoid. Here's the next step you need to take. Here's the next step you need to take. So it's a tool set that's tried and tested. It's not written, a lot of the books that are written out there are by people who've actually not done what they are teaching. Um, they've like some, seen some things and they tell you stuff, but they, they've not actually lived that life. They've not actually been through, you know, walked through it or they've walked through it in a, in a way that people can't relate to. Like Mary and I are husband and wife and we have children and we come from an immigrant background and we've been through like the hardship, like, it's not like, oh, you know, we've not inherited any money from anybody. We've not won the lottery. Like, it's helping people see that it's possible for you 
this book is like your tool set to help you kind of navigate that. So when they bring together skill set, mindset, and tool set, I feel like they have the whole package. That's what that is. And then they can then enjoy that life of financial joy that Mary referred to. Love that. And I know you you naturally both of you wouldn't say this, so I'll say it for you. Um, you've helped, like I said at the start, almost five million people and and then some. What are ways that people can actually support you with this book? Buy the book. That will be a pre-order, but also, sorry, I thought that was my phone. Yeah, just read it. And we'd love for you to support us in terms of getting the word out there. So whether that's taking a photo of you reading a book, mm -hmm. sending it to us, um, you know, just writing a review on Amazon, just practical things like that to help get the word out there. That'll be very helpful. Yeah, I'd add to that is we'll definitely buy it. So it's on Amazon now. So you can literally go and type financial joy and it will be there. Um, although, yeah, actually there right now. Um, uh, the next thing is actually um, just broadcasting it, telling mm. people about it. Because not, not a lot of people know who we are or what we do, although we have a community and a growing community. But it will be incredible for people who don't know who we are to come across our work and for our work to change their lives and the lives of their children. Mm -hmm. So I almost think of it as generational rather than just like this surface level when it's go depth. deeper. Yeah, deeper, mm. you know. So it's take take the book, apply it, action the 10 weeks, mm. teach your children, empower them, mm -hmm. empower your family, empower yes. your siblings, empower like let's share the knowledge. Yeah. And that way, you know, we're empowering our communities. So yeah. 100%. So amazing. And just before I ask my final question, is there any other questions in the crowd from? And it doesn't have to be for us. It could be about your situation. Let's write my question down. Um, <laughs> want to say congratulations Thank as you. well. Um, I'm hearing a lot of talk about frugality. Mm -hmm. um, and the adage comes to mind, if you buy cheap, you buy twice. Mm -hmm. So what's yes. your personal line when it comes to frugality? Hmm. I partly agree, partly agree with that. I would say um, reviews are very important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, just going online and looking at reviews, but you're absolutely right because um, sometimes if the, the more pricier item, not all the time, but sometimes will be better quality. So, but then you also have alternatives. For example, in the supermarkets, you've got the store-bought brands, which are just as good, if not better, than the big branded products that we all know of. So it's just about doing your own research, making sure that whatever you're buying is of good quality. If it's food, it's nutritious. It doesn't have too much sugar content. Um, and if it's clothes or whatever item it is, yeah, just doing your research. I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's a difference between frugality and being cheap. Yeah. That's a big difference. So being frugal is just being intentional with how you spend and where every dollar or pound or euro or whatever, where that's going. Um, and sourcing things out without necessarily overspending. Like, for example, you could have bought something on one of these like fashion shops or you could have like found something that actually still works in a charity shop. It's good quality. You're happy with it. That's actually better made, but doesn't have the shiny like branding on it. So it's about being intentional about like, do I even need anything first of all? You know, and if I do, where do I get it without necessarily overspending? Because every pound has a cost, you know? People don't think of opportunity costs. Again, this is the mindset we hope to communicate through the book. You know, if you think about it, every pound, or let me make it more realistic, every hundred pounds has the potential to become 200 pounds 
every, let's say, nine to 10 years. Yeah, in the same way, every 100,000 pounds has potential to become 200,000 pounds every uh, nine to 10 years, if invested, yeah? So that one pound or one dollar or one whatever actually matters, you know? So frugality is about just making sure that you're just being intentional, you're not just, you know, wasteful and, you know, but it's different to being cheap. Yeah, you know? like we're not getting takeaways all the time, instead we're just cooking in batch, home-cooked meals and then freezing them, yeah. Just one more question. <laughs> I've written my question down as well. Um, I'm interested in how your personal value, values, like having financial literacy, um, can create a, like a family culture that would serve for, to, to be a foundation for creating genera generational wealth. How would you say your personal values, uh, your background, your family, um, and will be being quote unquote equally yoked, um, factored into your journey? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like how, is it, how important was it yeah. Finding a partner, your family, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you guys on the, if you weren't on the same path. Yeah. How do you think that having a partner would have affected that? Oh, okay. So who's that for? Is that for me or for Mary? Both of us. Both of us. I mean, obviously, I think it would have definitely directly impacted the, um, the time frame at which we achieved certain goals. It may have taken longer. Um, it might have caused a lot of tension in a marriage, yeah. a lot of arguments, you know, there are, there's definitely value in being on the same page as your partner. And I appreciate that not everybody has that. Mm -hmm. You might have the spender and the saver in the, one's a spender, one's a saver. Um, one thinks about here and now, um, the other partner might be thinking more ahead, more future term. And I think the way to get around that to both be on the same page is to um, try and have a money day with your partner. And it's non-judgmental. It's um, a time where you can just come together and dream together. Have both of you have joint goals that you want to work towards together. And these goals might require some financial, um, it might require money. And how will you get that money? It's about working then working backwards. And when you think like that, in terms of you both have a vision, you have a goal, um, you might, it might not be as hard to, speak to your partner about maybe not always doing your hair at the um, salon or not always buying this I don't know whatever it is that's making you not be able to save as much that conversation may be a bit easier when you start from like what your future goals are together mm. but also our faith you can talk about our faith element as well yeah I was going to actually talk talk about just generational wealth from the perspective of just knowledge sharing mm. yeah because like culturally a lot of people don't like to share like the what's working what, what's helping them like make it they want to like hold it and keep it to themselves whereas like mary and i that's actually one of our things like we like to share most people who come across our stuff will never meet like we're honored to meet you guys in person mm. but for us it's just like sowing seeds like here look take it so we're very like sharing um and that's helped that's actually something that's come from our, our parents you know because our parents have always been like, you have to make it with your siblings. Like, you have to always look after them. You have to always like share the knowledge. So for example, my younger sister paid off her mortgage in eight years, for example. And my other sister, like everybody's doing different things that are very similar, like investment property or businesses and all different things. And that's only happening because of cooperation. In fact, one of the things we share very deeply in the book is about the need for us to do joint ventures together. 
So the need to collaborate with people and not just think you can only make it by yourself and think, well, actually, it's better to have 50% of something than 100% of nothing, right? Mm. It's better to just, you know, create some harmony where, or create an environment of trust where you're able to actually lean on each other. Like, a lot of uh, cultures do that. They lend money to each other. They're like, actually, yeah, you're like, you're going to buy a house. Okay, we all, like, pally together and we give this person. That person does the thing and then the next person does the thing and it carries on. Or they all just go, like, 25%, 25%, 25%, and they all share and then they work out. So one of the things I think that's really helped Mary and I is unity. And for us, that unity actually comes from not only family, but from our faith. Because unity, there's this um, saying that, um, I might not say it properly, but like, if if a household is divided up, up amongst itself, like, it actually, like, yeah, like, nothing comes out of it. So, like, that unity is very important, you know, whether it's in a relationship, a marital or a partnership or whatever, or even a family, like a household, you know, so, and someone has to take responsibility for that, for that unity to happen, you know, you might be in a family where, like, your siblings are, are like, not getting on, you have to step in and, like, make sure that unity is there, you know, in a couple situation, a family household situation, we have this concept of the home CFO, there needs to be a home chief financial officer, there needs to be somebody who it's their job, Mm-hmm. to look after the finances, who says, I take responsibility. It's like having unwashed on, on plates in the kitchen. You get in the kitchen, the kitchen's like messy. Like, who, who is saying someone needs to wash their plates? If there isn't someone saying someone needs to load that dishwasher, that dishwasher will not get loaded. It's the same thing with money. Like, someone needs to be in charge and say, okay, and then, but they need to then communicate with other people. All these comes back to, like, quite a lot of unwritten things that people don't talk about. So, principles around unity, around like trust, around, Mm -hmm. you know, all those elements enable, create almost like fertile ground for wealth to be built. Mm -hmm. Stability, you know. That's why like when you have households where there isn't stability, it's very difficult for wealth to be built, you know. But if you have a household where there's stability, then you've created the environment for much more to happen. So I don't know if that answers your question, but... It does. For those who don't come from that background, Mm -hmm. for those who would like to do to, to have that kind of cooperation amongst the siblings or the family members, but don't have that foundation. Realize the need for it, but don't have that. What would you? I know it's probably a challenge a piece of string, but how would you advise? How what would you recommend those who don't come from that background do in that type of situation where there maybe some familiar chaos or things like that? I think starting quite small is good. So it's just quite small things help. So I give I give very practical examples like. Organizing a family meal, yeah? It sounds like really insignificant, but it's actually pretty important because you've actually done something massive. You've got everybody together to put money together to pay for like a family outing. And if you sat down and like the guy or the woman comes or the guy comes with a thing and goes, oh, you're paying 25 quid, you're paying. And that's good because then it's like, oh wow, we're all together and we get to talk, we get to like, we've all like economically done something, yeah? That almost models what can happen, you know, in a slightly bigger thing. Next could be like, let's go on a family holiday, right? Again, you might think it's insignificant, but it's actually pretty significant because you've managed to come together, you know, you've organized, but it requires someone to take responsibility for it, to take responsibility for that unity to happen. And that that requires us not being so selfish. It requires us, I know we're all busy, we all have things that everyone has, bills to pay, everyone's busy. But it requires somebody to say, actually, I will take this role on. 
do you know what? This time next year, we're all going to go somewhere together. I will organize it. I'll bring all the options together and I'll do it. So from there, that trust starts to get built. Any animosity starts to get repaired gradually. And it then it could then move on to other things like actually, hey, let's uh, let's let's buy one thing together. You know, it might be that you do an investment property. Like our family, we did a commercial building property purchase, like a G, uh, a former GP, GP's practice turned into a daycare, nursery. and we all bought it. But it wouldn't have been possible without family unity coming together, trusting each other. Like when we started a nursery business, my mom had the vision. We all trusted each other. We all had to go and get loans. I got one from Tesco Bank, my sister got from Sainsbury's Bank, and da 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 Put it together to get a lease for a building. But that began with quite smaller seeds being sown first. But it took responsibility for my mom, mainly. It was like, this is our family culture, your internal culture. We will do things together, we'll eat meals together, we'll go here together, we'll, you know. Doesn't mean there isn't bicker, like people argue all the time. Like I've, I've still got to go and like sort out my two sisters, they're fighting at the minute. But holistically, like holistically, like the, 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 the ties are built, you know, and it's hard to break that. And I think that's key. That's one thing a lot of people don't talk about in, in books and like, People, when you hear financial independence, it, it speaks to just you and your own. Like, mm -hmm. it's just you. When in actual fact, it has to be you and other, and other people. Yeah. Particularly in a world of uncertainty, in the, in the times we're in, like, it's much harder to do things on your own. You need, you need other people to lift you. Like, for example, Choppy organizes mm -hmm. like this. I couldn't, have, I couldn't have, Mary and I couldn't have even thought about this concept of mm. meeting. Had we not built a friendship, a relationship, that wouldn't have happened. And now he's sowing the seed and then next we'll sow his seed into his venture and what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And you see how that works out. So that's kind of how I look at it. Can I just double click on that as well? Because one point that you made, I think it's really foundational a lot of times, is communication. Um, even with building with your family, you need to be talking and sharing with situations or partnerships, marriages, whatever, where you might be on different pages, what creates the issue most of the time is not the fact that you're on different pages, the fact that you're not talking about it. So that's why I really wanted to emphasize that point because the only way that you can do what you just talked about is that trust. Trust comes from talking. So even when those conversations are challenging, you still need to be able to do them because that way the other person knows where you are, you know what you're doing. It might be that I'm not there yet, but I know where you're at, I know what you're doing, and then it helps us to move move forward. Rather than, I'm not there, I'm gonna keep it to myself until you get there, that doesn't help anyone. So that communication piece is really, really important. Hi everyone, and once again, thank you so much for, I'll use the word blessing us this way. Um, my question, I think I'll take us slightly back to when you left um, working full time. I think uh, my biggest challenge now is, is something I wanna do personally at the moment, and I think we're more than a good financial place for me to make the jump. I'm not paid on the mortgage yet, but uh, hopefully we might do that. But um, for me, I think the challenge is, I don't know how you did it. Were you, when you're building Humble Penny and working full time, did you sort of try and hide it fully from your employers or was it out there that you're actually doing it? Because my biggest challenge is what I'm looking at doing is I'll have to scream and shout over LinkedIn everywhere else to get people to work with me. Mm -hmm. But I can't go screaming and shouting over LinkedIn and then my employers will be like, hang on here, we know this guy, he works for us, so why is he saying he's this? You know, so I can't yes. have both sitting in the same place. They must be separate. 
I've unfriended everybody that I work with on Instagram and face and Facebook. So that one, that's all clear. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't follow anybody, anybody else I work with on Instagram and Facebook, so they can't see what I'm doing. Everything else, but I need LinkedIn. I need to play on LinkedIn, but I don't know where to, where to go with that. Yeah. So I'll be real, right? So I've always been. I like to push the barriers a little bit, like, and and just kind of see what will happen, like an experiment. Every experiment, go try things out and kind of see like, well, I'm not sure it's going to work out, but we'll see. And I took the same approach with the humble penny. So I always thought the experiment was two hours a day for three years. That was it. And I was like, okay, I put two hours a day in. Now, could it all blow up? Could it be like a problem? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I always approached it as this is something that is my passion project. It's something I really want to do. Like I really enjoy doing it. Is it making any money? No. I'm just putting my time in. It might make some income one day, but like it's not yet. So the, view, the way I viewed it was if I got challenged, and I did, by an employer, it, it's my passion project, you know? And but you've got to understand that in the world we're living in today, you are already out there already. And I think COVID and th th that whole pandemic era has kind of changed things in a way that like you know, your personal brand is going to become ever more important. I think portfolio uh, careers will become ever more important. Like people will start to do two or three things. They might work two, two days in this job and two days in another job, and then they might do two days on their own thing, you know. So I think that's more of a trend. I think Mary and I have kind of caught onto that much earlier, and we were just trying it out. But it depends on the employer's way of looking at things as well. Some employers are actually quite traditional, and they're like, no. Like one employer said to me, even in your time outside of work, even when you're in your bed thinking, you should be thinking about this job. <laughs> That's what they said to me. Like, yeah, I'm out. That's when you know, okay, it's time to leave. this is game over. Like this, is, this ain't gonna work, right? So some people think like that. They're like, every you should be consumed with this job. Okay, thank you, no thanks. So it's about, thinking, what's the culture of my employer? Mm -hmm. So that culture is sometimes written and unwritten. Like some employers, they say certain things, but actually, like, unofficially, everyone just kind of gets on. So long as it's not, you know, affecting your job, so long as you're not, like, using your work laptop and doing your, your thing, then it's different, you know. And they're okay, as long as you're delivering and you're showing up, you're doing what you are doing, you're meant to be doing contractually. So that's the view I took, which was, look, I'm going to do this stuff in my own spare time, when I'm on the train, my weekends, early mornings, evenings, even lunch breaks, I might go to a cafe. I used to go to British Library. During lunch, I just go to the British Library, laptop, blog post. You know, that was it. I was just trying to, because I really believed in this thing that would become the humble penny. We just needed like to make it work. So I think you kind of need to take the risk. But remember, you're not wedded to an employer. You know, an employer should be lucky to actually have you. You know, it's not the other way around. They're not doing you a favor. Like you're bringing a skill set that they're paying for. That skill set is actually global. Like other people can have that, can pay you for that skill set. Mm. So I think it's a mindset as well, you know. Um, but you have to protect yourself because, as you know, layoff, the layoff culture is massive. You know, these companies just lay people off and they don't care what happens to you. They just say, sorry, leave your laptop at, the, at your desk and then that's it. You know, so I always think that 
you know, the community we're building, people need to, like you have insurance with your, like home insurance, you need to have like income insurance, like you have another alternative, another way of protecting yourself. And for me, this is one thing my mom always like went on about. She's like, yeah, okay, you're an accountant. Yeah, so what? Like you need your own business. Like you need something else because that's not really gonna last you very long. And then there's the cultural, like, can I just say this one thing? There's also like a, a ethnicity bit. Like I go to the city, I don't see many like black men in their fifties or ever, like in financial services or even men or women more generally. Age, there's age, there's like gender, then there's ethnicity. There's so many like weird things with careers that you always think your career will carry on on a straight line, but mm. it doesn't really in reality. You know, companies replace people. They don't tell you why they're replacing that person. They just find someone who's younger and supposedly more capable. And, and then that's it, you know, and, it's, and they're cheaper as well, because as you get older, you're like, pay me more. They're like, no, actually, I'll get someone who's cheaper to do the same job. You know, so you have to really hedge your bets. And I think that's where backing yourself really matters, you know. Even though it's, it might seem fearful and uncomfortable, I think it's necessary. Personally. And build an emergency fund as well, yeah. <laughs> just to be prepared. Back up, yeah. yeah. Hi, thank you for having us here. Yes. Uh, my question is about mentors. Did you have any mentors and what sort of impact did they have they had or did they have on your journey? Did you have one or different in different seasons or for different reasons and that type of thing? Yeah, so we had um, informal mentors and, um, you know, Ken did the traditional, but, you know, regarding the informal mentors, I spoke previously about the fact that we surrounded ourselves um, with people who were, had the same values as us, who um, were on already on the journey that we wanted to go on. So they already had their online businesses, they were making six figures with their online business. And so it was just really informal mentorship, like, going out for coffee with them, picking mm. their brains, asking them how they did it, um, them showing us that it was possible. Mm. Um, but it was also reciprocated in another way. So we offered our own you know, views on how they can improve their business. So it wasn't just like a one-sided thing. Mm. Um, and then do you want to talk about yeah, the so traditional? I had a life coach who mm -hmm. I, so I did this thing called an exec MBA. And part of what you got with the exec MBA was you got a life coach. Mm -hmm. uh, this woman who's South African, very senior financial services professional, was my coach. And I really enjoyed her because she really helped me during a difficult stage of my career and navigating just, it's very lonely, as I say, it's very cliche, it's lonely at the top. It's just like, as you're working up your career, it's not very, it's not very fun because there aren't many people who understand the challenges you face. So that really helped me over a six month period. But the other thing that really helps me the most, I think, from a business perspective is being in a mastermind. So mm -hmm. I'm still in masterminds even today, essentially a group of people who are doing quite similar things, but who come together to share and who have common um, values or they are operating the same industry, for example. So I'm in one with some American uh, business people um, and it's just nice and you come together, you kind of like, you're transparent, you're like, here's the problem I'm having, or here's what's going really well, and you tell people how you did it, and people learn from it, and then they share, and then they set goals, they're like, okay, by next month, this is what you should have done. So having in that environment where you're being challenged, almost like iron sharpens iron, it's very important because it holds you to account, and you know, you don't like, say you're gonna do stuff and not do it, you know, <laughs> you actually show up, and otherwise you feel embarrassed, because um, 
you know, you said you were going to do it, but you didn't do it. You know, and speaking to people, like for example, Shapi and I, we chat all the time and we like talk about stuff and about like what we want to do and how we're feeling as even as men, like talking. So having people that you can relate to, I think is very important. Even if they're just a handful of people, I think it's very, I think it's key actually, where you can go to when you're struggling or when you feel like, you know what, I kind of just need like some wisdom. Um, I think it's key. Yeah. yeah, those masterminds are powerful because I sometimes like listening on them and we've then now recreated those masterminds mm. within Financial Joy Academy. So we have yeah. a blogging mastermind, um, a YouTube mastermind and a property, property. mastermind yeah. where everyone who's doing, you know, those ventures, those businesses, they come together and they share and exchange their knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Was, was that the whole point of the mastermind to give people a place to find the mastermind? Because that's the next question. How did you find your community? Oh, um, so the masterminds I'm in came in through referral. So someone just, I just, I just like, like I could be friends with you and you were like, oh, I'm in this thing. I'm like, oh, could I please be invited? You know, uh, so that's how that started. But our community, Financial Joy Academy, we created the masterminds because we'd experienced it in other spaces. So we were like, actually, can we not create a similar thing for our community so that people can come and learn about things, but not just learn, but actually do it. You know, so like the property one, you're like, oh, I want to buy my first buy to let. Like, okay, here are courses, but like, okay, how much you have in the bank? Right, for this money, you can buy in this area. Here are the risks. Here's this, here's this. Oh, call this person. They're a salsa. Call that person. Oh, the person on the call is like, oh, I'm a mortgage broker. Here's the rates you can get. You know, so you're, you're surrounded by people who have different skills mm -hmm. and who are able to like help you commit you know a lot of what we a lot of our procrastination is a lack of commitment mm. you know we're like well i'd love to do it but maybe in 10 years <laughs> rather than like next week you know so i think those spaces help you actually do things now uh do things now rather than later sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh well thanks for having us here um my question was going to be two in one and fortunately you've answered both um, the first one was, um, I was going to ask, like, um, how intentional, you know, were you before you started this, you know, community? But you, I think you answered that, you know, when you said, um, when you go on your lunch break, you know, you bring out your, so I was going to ask, you know, did you start it as, um, just, um, um, how do I put it now? Like, just, um, like a obby, yeah, like a obby. And the second one I was going to ask, she asked it, you know, and said, um, I was going to put it this way, that how much help did you um, add to when you were going to start, you know, um, Financial Joy and Humble Penny? Mm. Um, because I understand you, you've got a um, financial background. So that could have made it's easy, you know, in some ways for you. But, you know, if somebody who is not that learned, you know, want to do something like that, because how do you, how did you bring, you know, to, to, to life your concept? Lots of times, you know, I get ideas and things like that. I always think to myself, I can do this. I'm capable of doing that. This is what I want to do. But um, I don't know where to go for help. And I don't know how to bring them to life. And, um, I am not a social person and, you know, social media person rather. I am, I haven't got lots of friends, you know, just few of people around me. So 
I would like to know how to, you know, go forward. And uh, yeah, thanks. All right, that's a great, great question. And I can just answer that as we, um, I think we're coming to wrap up shortly. Um, so I'm gonna tell you something, right, that really helped me in the way that, that helped us on this journey. So one of the things I remember vividly was going on a lunch break and going to film, I went to uh, um, Regent's Park, right? There's like a bridge, in, a small bridge at Regent's Park, and I went there once, I put a ca uh, camera down, and I just filmed myself talking about what will become Financial Joy Academy, right? And I was like, yep, so I've just bought this domain, financialjoyacademy.com, and what we're gonna do with this domain is we're gonna create like Netflix, it's gonna be like Netflix, but it's gonna be like for personal finance and entrepreneurship, and I was just talking about it, right? But it didn't exist. I was just talking about it, right? It's like a vision. It's like, oh, here's what we, we want this thing to look like. Now, we didn't have the technical ability, but I mean, like, how do you connect this website to there? How do you, like, all these small things that you don't really know how to do. So one of the things that we've learned over time is this idea of relying on other people to do what you want to do. So the thing that's separating you and where you want to get to is you've not decided who should fill the gap between where you are and where you want to get to. Yeah, so it's about finding who can help you do the things you want to do. Not necessarily how you can do it, but how, how do I, f um, who is the person who can uh, help me achieve my goals? So for example, you want to buy a house. Yeah, to buy a house, you need a mortgage broker, you need a bank who lends you mortgage, you need various participants, maybe a builder, maybe an architect, maybe, you know, various people actually have to come together for you to then get to that point where, and then a conveyancer, but to get to the point where you're like, you know what, I'm a homeowner, right? You had the vision though. You're like, I want the house. And then you start searching, then an estate agent got in touch and da, 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 da. The same thing goes for side hustles and businesses. As you and your vision, there has to be a vision first, but outside of that vision, you then need people, yeah? It, it often involves a bit of, uh, capital, a bit of money, for example, you might say, you know what, the most I'm prepared to spend is 500 pounds, and that's what I'm gonna put into this. But who is the most important person to bring to reality? So for the Humble Pen in FJ, it was a lady called Sarah, and she was based in Florida. Never met her, found her online, and she's like, I can help you to build a website. I'm like, great, I'll pay you $300. That was it. We're just chatting on email. She's like, send me this, what's your colors? What do you like? Da, 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 da. We're like yellow, we're like this, we're like this. Back and forth, back and forth, like hundreds of emails back and forth. And she was just building. My job was to work hard in my job and make the money to pay Sarah. I'm like, no, no, drag this here. No, no, put this here. Oh, what if, what if people pay, how would they pay? Okay, put a payment button. What if this, what if? I don't know how to do these things, but she does, yeah? So it's about finding the person because I've got very little time. I'm like, I've only got two hours a day. What do I do with my two hours a day? I speak with Sarah, I write a blog post. That's it for today. The next day, chat with Mary, let's do some pins, chat to that person. That's it for today, the next day. Yeah, so it's about like an efficient management of resources. You're just managing the little money you have, the little time you have, and you're just shifting it around people. That person, you get 300 pounds this month. That person, you get 100 pounds this month. That person, you get $100 this month. But every day you're doing something. You're like 
almost like the vision carrier. And everybody else is orchestrating. You've been to like an orchestra, like a, a show, like National, um, uh, one of these shows in London. Everybody's there performing for you to get an outcome. But you're driving, almost like the, mm. the lead. Choreographer. Yeah, yeah, the lead conductor. Yeah, you're like saying, okay, this way, that way, right? But you're doing it with finite. You know, again, I always bring everything to spiritual, like, you know, <laughs> you know, God operates with very small things. You know, it's like, it takes very small things and turns it into big things. It's like, if you have faith the size of mustard seed, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of themes of small things. So you have to always think like, I've got small things. How do I use my small things? It's like in our house, we have this small studio. It's like a quarter of this room. But that's where we film all our YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do I use my small things? and make big things, yeah. like have impact. It's about the vision initially, you know. And just to add to that, if you have like a concept or an idea for like a side hustle, but you're not quite sure like how to articulate what it is exactly, mm-hmm. you know, what I would say is to go online and, you know, try and validate your idea by seeing what's already out there that's similar to what you want to do. How have they packaged it? How can you add your own kind of like unique spin to it? So. Same ingredients, but different recipe. Was it same? Was it same yeah, recipe, yeah, yeah. different ingredients? Yeah. yeah. Basically, go online and validate your idea. You can create an online form and send it out to people just to get their feedback on the idea as well, just to see if it's something that they would be interested. Uh, first of all, congratulations on the book and thank you so much for the invite. Um, just if, do you think you would have got into this if you hadn't had the health scare? Or do you think that this is always something you wanted to do? And was it maybe a blessing in disguise? Mm-hmm. So I think that the way we were operating was not sustainable. And we needed to kind of rethink what we really wanted. So we always knew we wanted a financial goal. And we also knew that we wanted a particular type of life, like we wanted to own a home one day. Um, and we wanted maybe one day to start a family or, you know, we had a love for travel. We're like, oh, we'd love to travel the world. But we didn't have a way of describing or almost seeing it as a way of living, like a financial joy being a lifestyle, you know. But I always feel like life always presents you with what we call in the book a point of no return events, like things that almost act like a slap in the face, like to wake you up, to make you think, whoa, like almost like the scales fall off your eyes, like I've not been seeing for a while, but now I can see, you know. And I think those events, like COVID was one of them for people. It was like a, you know, it was a game changer in so many ways. And for other people, it's different things. It's like redundancy or bereavement or divorce or having children or, you know, there's, there's, we have to be observing the signals. They're like signals. So I think we would have got to this point eventually, but it took a, a sequence of events to get to a point where we're like, actually, okay, we need to start to operate quite differently. Um, and just be a bit more intentional about how we're looking at our lives and what we want. And do we want what everybody else is doing? You know, that kind of stuff. It's quite good to sort of step back and realize what you guys wanted to do and how to sort of get there. Yeah. It sometimes is those pivotal moments that force you to to really take action. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a, there's a good book called um, Who Moved My Cheese? Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a small book. It's really tiny. It's really good. <laughs> it's a really tiny book, right? 
but it's about change. It's like, how do you deal with change? Mm. Every day there's change. There's like stuff happening. But when change happens, like, how do you deal with it? Like, what do you do? Like, and how you deal with it determines like what happens next, you know? Mm. And I always think it's the same with all aspects of our lives. Like you get that email that says, unfortunately, we're having to let you go. Like, what do you do next? You know, how do you approach life? How do you, like, what's your mindset around it? Um, all those things kind of, the, the, life is just full of like events that have knock-on effects and the way we navigate them determines like how we get to that next place. Yeah, sort of which path you go down. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Interesting. Thank you. Hi, Ken and Mary. Thank you so much for the invite. It's been such rich conversations here. And congratulations again with the book. Thank you. Thank you. Is there going to be a book launch? Are you going to do yes. a book signing? Yes, there will be. Um, it will likely be in April, beginning yeah. of April. So the book will be, it will be released March 28th. 28th of March. 28th of March next year. But available for pre-order on the 5th of October. Yeah, available. Someone can, you can just yeah, order it now. But the printed copy will land in March. Yeah. But yeah, so all, likely around April, we will have a book launch. And we'll let you know way before, because it'll be lovely yes. to see you guys again, especially because you guys were the first to be officially told. Yeah. Congratulations, well done. I think it's amazing. It's been wonderful following your journey. Um, this book sounds like it'd be amazing for young couples to go to the world. Do you think this would work for a couple to work their way through together? Yes. Yes, 100%. Absolutely. We, we, we wrote this book from the perspective of as a couple, but it speaks to single people and people who are in a relationship. Yeah. It's perfect. You're not in any art. You're not going to argue because you're just following what we're telling you to do in a book. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's like, okay, week one, do this, do this, hear some tasks, discuss them. And then every week is connected. So it builds upon each other. Um, so yeah. I think it'll be phenomenal for for you know people in relationships or you know couples as well as single people as well. It could run alongside the church pre wedding. Yes. Yeah, well, I hadn't even yeah. thought about that. That's, Gosh. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, please yeah. share in your ch- yeah. share in your churches. Do you know, it's very wherever, you know. It was actually our premarital um, sessions that we had where they spoke about the fact that after infidelity, money is the second cause of divorce. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so that made us even more intentional about being on the same page, knowing yeah. that statistic. Mm. So it will definitely go hand in hand with the church premarital lessons. Yeah. And we're speaking at churches as well. So if any of you have like, you know, if you like want to invite us to speak, to yeah. do a book like... Uh, speaking, yeah, would love sure. to do that. We're doing one at Winners mm-hmm. soon uh, next month, I think. Yeah, yeah. There oh, you go. Yeah. So, so like all these different organisations, churches, charities, like they're Work contacting places. us, workplaces, yeah. to come and like have conversations. So, mm-hmm. yeah, let us know. We get to yeah, yeah. to do that. So as we wrap up on what's been um, a great conversation, which I know everyone's thoroughly enjoyed. The question I always end my podcast normally with, you've been on it, so you know. Um, I'm going to ask you both anyway, 
um, because I think what you're doing actually speaks into this as well. And the question is always is, how do you define leadership? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say leadership is, is taking responsibility for, for something and someone or people, right? So it might be a community, it might be a project, it might be... Um, and setting and setting and setting the examples that go with that. So, for me, it's always like, and it's also tied to living, living your true self in those experiences, rather than just operating one way at work but operating some another way at home. I always find that to be quite false. I think leadership is like, you know, um, living according to the values that you truly prioritize. And letting people know that through your actions rather than just you know, saying it but doing something else. Mm. Yeah, and I was just going to say leading by example, but also being empathetic and compassionate mm. whilst doing so. Love that. This has been a joy. Yes. Um, <laughs> no pun. <laughs> 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 but it's just great to be part of your journey. Um, I think what you both pour out um, on a regular basis, one is an, an amazing amount of content in so many different forms, but more importantly, it's the intentionality behind it of being able to shift the dial in people's lives and their minds to be able to live thriving, fulfilled lives from every single part of their family and as individuals as well. And I really, really, Love that and um, appreciate you guys. And we're definitely going to support anywhere we can and get you out there and get this book out there in everyone's hands because they need to read it. So thank you both for doing this. Thank you all for coming out today. Um, it's been amazing. Save the leadership. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. you're still recovering from that amazing conversation let me give a quick preview of what we got coming up next week make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out well i knew it wasn't going to be forever that's what i knew for sure so i was like i'm gonna just learn all that i can and make the most of this time in my life i know it's not going to be long term so while i'm here what are the skills that i could learn i'm really just put fully you know place myself and be there be fully present in the role uh, but within 18 months I decided to go to university back to university and um, study my master's so yeah it was good for what it was for for that short period but I knew that it wouldn't be forever and that's kind of what keeps me going you know